welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Move Daily Health Podcast. I'm Dane Wallace, here again with Freya Spence, and today we're going to tackle the topic of cravings, both for food and for exercise. The basis of a craving is essentially seeking out a feeling. And to that, there are both physiological and psychological aspects. So a craving is something that we typically associate with food, though some of us might also express that we're craving sleep or we're craving contact with people. But today, what we'll be discussing predominantly are the movement and nutrition side of things because those are within our scope of practice. So Dane's going to kick us off with some nutrition cravings. Yeah, so nutrition cravings or food cravings are something that hold back a lot of people from achieving their body composition and health goals. So before we dive into the facts of the matter, let's talk about a few myths first. So one myth is that you're just going to keep eating food until you get enough nutrients that the body actually requires. This comes from the fact that processed foods don't really have many nutrients. Therefore, the theory is that people will just continue eating the french fries until they get enough of the nutrients that they need and then they'll be done eating. The research does not back this up. Very few cravings have anything to do with nutrient deficiencies, so it's very rare for example that you will just keep eating cake because you don't have enough thiamine in your system. It's just not how things work. So the one thing that research has shown is related when it comes to nutrition for cravings is salt. If you are someone who exercises a lot and sweats a lot and you find yourself craving salty foods, you need to salt your foods more. <laughs> so what I find will often happen with this population is that people will have the salty craving and then that's when they get into the chips or they'll go out and get some fast food because all of these foods are super high in sodium. And so they will scratch that salt itch. But unfortunately, along with that salt itch <laughs> comes far, far, far too many calories. So if you are of this population where you're sweating a lot, just know that you do need salt. Salt is very important for overall human health. And so salt your vegetables, salt your meat, salt your whole foods, and that's going to scratch that salt itch without you having to dig into you know, the chips and the other foods that are going to sabotage those results you're looking for. The other part of the population that can get these true salt cravings will be somebody who might have an adrenal deficiency. So again, somebody who might be in the high stress population other signs of this could be thinning hair, brittle nails, just generally high-stress people. And the adrenal glands also control salt in the body. So if you are of this population and you're constantly craving salt and you're eating chips and those things, take a pause and think, huh, am I actually getting any natural salt, um, some sea salt on my vegetables, and go that route instead, and that will prevent your calories from getting out of hand while also giving your body what it actually requires to kind of help your, your actual physiological system get up to speed where it needs to be. The second myth I'd just like to touch on is uh, that cravings are all genetics and that I can't help it because I just get cravings. It's just something that runs in my family. So cravings do have a genetic component and research shows that they are linked to foods that were presented to children when they were younger. So if you're presented with a food when you are young, you will tend to crave that more throughout life if it's a food that you've continued to regularly include in your life. 
But the truth about this is that it's not that these are unbreakable cravings. Cravings happen in short-term memory. So you can push them out by focusing on another task. Uh, cravings are not built into your DNA. It's something you may have been exposed to in your environment, but it's something you have total control over. So the upside about cravings is that it's a conditioned response that you can unlearn if you remove that food from your diet for long enough. Now, we desire physiologically to get a lot of calories in one bite or one meal whenever we can. And this is something that is really deeply ingrained in humans, has been for all of time, because food used to be scarce. And we are driven instinctively to eat as much as possible at meals when we are given the chance to do that. So when we're presented these days with highly palatable fast food or sweets, for example, it's natural that we will want to eat as much of this as possible so that we can store that for later when food may be scarce. Unfortunately, food is never scarce anymore for us. So this is why obesity is now starting to get out of control because we have this instinct to eat a lot of food at our meals. But now there is literally food everywhere, every street corner, every workplace, every home, it's everywhere. So our environment is out of tune with our actual physiology. So we have to be very aware that cravings are a normal thing. We are driven to eat a lot at meals. And the biggest triggers for cravings are sight and smell. So this is why you'll notice the marketing ads for, you know, we can take McDonald's or fast food joints. They use all these bright colors. They make all their burgers really juicy in the ads. They make it so that you can really visualize eating that food. They really trigger you. So it's sight and smell. And so if you do want to kind of get off that train of the cravings, you have to alter that environment. Now, if you find yourself snacking a lot, this kind of goes in the same vein uh, along with having to change that environment. Because when you snack a lot, it's because you've trained yourself to snack at those times of the day. The body will adapt to whatever you've trained it to do. So if you find yourself snacking a lot, one, you've trained your body to do that. So you have to change that pattern. And the best way to do that is to change that environment because again, the sights and the smells are gonna trigger your body to snack. So regarding environment, the key is to be very mindful and you need to break the trend. So if you find that you are walking home and you're constantly stopping into Starbucks or somewhere to get a treat, then you have to walk, take a different route home because then you won't see that trigger and you will avoid it. Same thing at work, if you go into the lunchroom and there's always donuts or cookies in there, you need to avoid the lunchroom. At home, Number one key is just don't bring foods into the house that you don't want to eat because if they're not in your environment, you cannot eat them. If you are in your house, don't leave them on the counter. Hide them out of sight because, again, that sight is going to trigger you to snack on those more. So when it comes to food itself, it is all about that environment piece and making sure the sight and the smell do not trigger you to have those things. Other things that we tend to crave can be Caffeine. This is another really big one for people. If you feel that you need caffeine and you're craving it, that's just a really good sign that you need to take a break from caffeine. <laughs> and it is time to prioritize more restful sleep. And this will go hand in hand with the fact that when you are underslept, your body will be seeking recovery from another means. And for example, sugar will be the fastest way to provide your body with the energy it needs. So sleep is really important when it comes to cravings because you will crave more of everything, not just caffeine, but sweets as well, if you are underslept. So if you're craving caffeine, 
It's time to take a little detox. You might have headaches for a day, but really get off the caffeine, prioritize sleep for a few days. Cravings will go down for absolutely everything. That's a, a really big key for a lot of people. And finally, thirst is another thing I just wanted to touch base on. If you are thirsty, drink water. <laughs> but a lot of times people will eat when they're thirsty. They will confuse thirst for hunger. So if you don't have a water bottle around, but there is a cookie right on the desk next to you at work, you're probably going to eat that cookie just because you're thirsty. So another real big key to avoiding cravings is to make sure you are well hydrated. Take a water bottle with you everywhere you go. And if you are having trouble drinking that water, make sure you put it on top of your phone. So every time you reach for your phone, you take a drink of water. And that will help you kind of break through that thirst thing. And then you'll be less hungry and have less cravings just because you have more water in your system. So in conclusion of that whole long rant, if food cravings are sabotaging your efforts, here's the plan. One, the key is that you have to remove the foods you crave for at least two weeks. Now, I know that that's kind of a chicken and egg situation. So to do that, you have to change that environment. Don't bring those foods into your house. Like I said before, change the route you take home. Don't go to the places at work where there are those trigger foods. If people are bringing things into work, ask them not to bring them into work, but change the environment as best as possible so that you can detrain the cravings to snack and to have those foods. Again, water will help. And then again, the short-term memory thing I mentioned earlier, cravings reside in the short-term memory portion of the brain, is if you have that craving, jump to another task as soon as possible. So stand up and stretch, get down, do some push-ups, go for a quick walk around the office, drink some water, text a friend, try and pair a different action to the cue you're getting to have that snack or that craving. As soon as you switch to another task, that craving will diminish. So that is how I would best recommend that you deal with food cravings. And I feel like I was just talking forever. So now I'm going to hand it over to Freya to make a few comments about food stuff as well, I'm sure, and to tackle some exercise stuff too. Thank you, Dane. I'm going to make a couple points. First one being about water because this links us into the exercise portion as well as the potential for salt loss. Water intake is a highly contested thing. The eight glasses of water research has been uh, debunked. They say that eight glasses is not necessary, then other people will. At the end of the day, we have very few people who overconsume water. And while that can happen, and we've had a couple clients over the years who have, I personally have for a couple reasons, we have seen it happen that people will drink too much water, but it is extremely rare. More often than not, we find that people are not drinking any water, period. They will have coffee and they obviously will have liquid within the context of vegetables, but that is not sufficient. So in the context of water and thirst, if you're not having any water whatsoever, introduce a cup of water. We always say in the morning, anything you do in the morning, regardless of whether it's water or movement or just any habit you do in the morning sets your day off in a really good way. Now, this brings us to exercise and salt loss. Understandably, people who jump into exercise tend to get the idea that they have to go hard all the time. 
with all of the fitness apps out there that can be fantastic for accountability and with all of the group classes that are available, the vast majority of them focus, at least in our city, this is not speaking globally, uh, the vast majority of them will focus on a high intensity component. And there is a lot of evidence. We've done podcasts discussing HIIT training. It is really valuable. But what people don't understand is it can also be applied at lower thresholds or it can be applied with different movement modalities and it can be applied to a very broad range of humans so that you're also not getting hurt in the process. So this craving is one almost like an adrenaline rush or an endorphin rush. And we see this a lot with people who are going to boot camp style classes. Again, we're not knocking them. We're just trying to help people be aware of what feeling underlies that particular stimulus. And we encourage people to seek out multiple stimuli so that when they're run down, they know which one to choose. So if you are well rested and everything is moving well with your joints, then great, go to the boot camp class. It can be a really positive environment. It can be a great community. And we love that people include group fitness within their regimes. We think that's really important. It's important to understand as well, though, that if your joints are nagging you or you're underslept, then going for that sensation of adrenaline and endorphin rush will probably only feel good during that class. The kickback afterwards is not necessarily as nice and it's not exactly what your system needed at that time. The biggest challenge is figuring out how to find that sensation, how to find what you're craving, whether it's community or anything and and seeking it elsewhere. So identifying what you take from that class and what you enjoy most from it and learning where else you can get it from can be extremely helpful. So if it's really just that you want community, but you're really underslept or you're under-recovered, then there can be other classes that are lower octane, as I like to say. And that doesn't just mean yoga. Yoga is definitely one option, but there are other classes that focus more on lifting or there are hikes that you can go on with groups. And all of those would satisfy that part of that craving. The other piece of that, the the heart rate elevation part, is the cardio part that people love. And I don't blame them. If you enjoy cardio, then chances are really high you love the endorphin rush that comes with it. That's why so many people will finish a marathon and be really happy to be done and then think, yeah, I'll do that again. (laughs) Uh, There's always a point where you feel like I never want to do that again. It's usually when you're limping around. Um, But then as soon as that has worn off, you think, oh yeah, I want that high again. After half marathons, marathons, or really long endurance events, you can actually find that some people hit a pretty big slump and it's like they had this massive burst of endorphins and then they went into a little bit of a deficit over the next few days as they recover. So with that, In light of injury or in light of needing to recover a little bit more, it can be really challenging because you want that feeling again and you'll crave just wanting to go fast somewhere. I'm using running as an example, but other forms of cardio fit in here too. So if that's the stimulus that you're seeking, there are other ways to do it that won't harm you as much if you're in a little bit of a deficit. One of the best things to do is to switch out your modality entirely. So 
If you're a runner, you could pop into the pool, provided you know how to swim. Uh, Chances are really high you won't go as far or you won't go super long. And that can actually be a really beneficial way to recover. It still gives you that cardiovascular response, but you're also deloading your joints. I know not everyone has access to a center with a pool, but if you do, that would be a great way to get the same feeling you're looking for while respecting that your system needed a little bit of a switch. It's really important to change up your modalities in everything that we're discussing today. So now the next craving that's away from the cardio side of things, and our key takeaway with the cardio is that if you're seeking more the community aspect, there are other ways to achieve that in various outputs. So you can go high output, you can also go calmer output. So high output would be your boot camp class, and a lower steadier output would be going for a hike with people. Everything is good. We're not knocking any of this. (laughs) It's just understanding that you can get that stimulus and that satisfaction from multiple places. Then with regards to cardiovascular activity, you can do shorter burst hits. So you could do four minutes and reap a similar endorphin rush while not having as big of a tax on your body as say running for four hours. With that said, you can switch out running and go cycling or switch out cycling and go swimming. Just exposing your body to different ways of loading and different stressors. And then if you're newer at something, you don't have to do quite as much of it and you'll still get that endorphin rush. If you're really adapted to cycling, you could go for six hours before you feel like you've really gotten tired, but in the pool, you might go for 200 meters. Now, when it comes to weights, there's a general conception that we have to really push ourselves through and to pain. And uh, the no pain, no gain is a really common phrase. I think at this stage, there's been a lot of really positive attention in our industry brought to the fact that this simply is not the case. I will not deny that if you are an athlete and you're competing, there will be periods where you're reaching and there will be there will be periods where you're really at the edge but that represents 5 to 10% of your total training time per year unfortunately for general population a lot of the available fitness resources out there are a little bit more push all the time and working with a trainer that's different Dane and I are not against working hard we love working hard we've both competed in a wide variety of sports Every sport that I have competed in has taught me something, but I will also say that magic is built in your steady work. And if you can learn to appreciate some of your steady work and understanding where the edge of your capacity is rather than trying to blast through it all the time, then you get more rewards in terms of personal records, personal bests, and then most importantly, health and longevity for your body. We appreciate and understand that a lot of people who want to come in and push are doing so because they like that feeling while others are coming in because they have been taught that that is the way they need to train to get anywhere. We've both learned with ourselves personally and professionally that you don't need to push all the time. In fact, steady work wins the race. It's like that tortoise and the hare story if they still say that. It's boring, but it's my life. (laughs) This is where I live now. Um, 
So again, I, I'm just not going to discuss the performance base because that is a little bit different. But even then, general population, if you are quote unquote life based, you would be like to be life strong and a generalist. Then there are periods that you may reach a little bit when you're freshest and when you're strongest, but aim for slow and steady gains and don't push through pain. We see this all the time and that's how people often get referred to us is through injury. You do not need to be crippled. In fact, if you are, it's a really good sign that you are under recovered and you were pushed too far. Our tissues need a long time to properly adapt. So while you may be able to lift a ton if you've learned a new movement within a few weeks, your tissues, your slow metabolic tissues, your tendons, your ligaments need more time to adapt. Further to that, if you have regular life demands and every time you come into the gym, you're pushing to the max and a little bit crippled at work the next day, the chances are high that you're not able to recover as hard as you are training. So unfortunately, that stops a lot of people dead in their tracks. This is where we like to build in life considerations and we build movement options that encompass a variety of outputs for each person so that people know what they do on a high stress, low energy day. What do they do on a high energy day on the weekend when they have more time and they had high quality sleep? All of those things can be variable and the general trend will be linear, meaning upwards, but it takes a wave-like pattern and it's steady in that regard. We've had a number of coaches reference this on our podcast. A number of our colleagues have referenced that usually a really big injury is what kind of stopped them in their tracks and had them look at their training plans a little bit differently. Both Dana and I can speak to this personally, and we've seen it with a number of clients, as I mentioned earlier, that once we get an epic injury, we realize we really do need to change the way we're going about our training and more importantly the intensity of our training but if we look at the evidence we instinctively probably knew that way way before it actually came to a head and so the craving if the craving is working really hard and you have a hard time reeling it back maybe consult a coach to figure out what the best strategy is for when you should reach versus when you shouldn't reach and you should just spend time adapting, and then also introduce some skill-based movements. Skill-based movements are fantastic for keeping your ego in check, (laughs) but they're really mentally engaging, so you don't get very bored with them. I think Dane can attest to that in his little adventure trying to learn handstands and seeing how rapidly that skill can change depending on your overall recovery and sleep that day. Correct. When you're not dealing with an external load, meaning if you're not lifting a weight and you're moving with your body in, in something that's skill-based, it can keep you a little bit more honest. So we like combining elements for people. If they like weights, great. We'll definitely do that. But we certainly want some uh, body weight work and mobility days planned in there as well. Now, this last bit is not necessarily a craving, but... It's more in line with pushing ourselves to pain or pushing ourselves through pain as a belief that that's the only way we can succeed somewhere. And along with that go certain words. So if you find that you're a highly motivated person, you're always on time, you 
always show up to the gym when you say that you will, no matter how tired you are. You are highly motivated and highly committed. If you start using the words, I need to force myself there, or I had to drag myself there, chances are you shouldn't have been there. So you may have been craving that feeling and that, you know, that rush and we get it. It's a nice sympathetic output. It helps you sleep at night if you move, but there are lower octane things that you may need to do. A highly motivated person doesn't say they needed to force themselves to the gym unless they were massively under recovered. If you're a less motivated person, this might be a little different. So it may not check in. You may feel like you kind of have to drag yourself into the activity first. But we suggest that you always pick something that feels approachable so that doesn't feel as daunting. So whatever that is, whether it's in the gym, out of the gym, in a different facility, choose something that's a lowest threshold to get yourself going. So I know with... With nutrition, it's it's much more concrete. With movement, that's where you can really see that it is very feeling-based. Like, what are you looking for? What feeling are you seeking out of it? And also, is that tied to beliefs or is it tied to just like, that's what makes you tick? We encourage everybody to encompass a variety of outputs in their movement modalities. Learn what makes you tick. Some people cannot stand yoga and that's fine. You don't need to go and do that, but learn how to deload properly in the gym. If the gym is the place that you're really happy, you have to introduce that. You cannot push every single workout because if you're reaching every single workout, ultimately we will see that your body is not able to recover sufficiently from that. Along that line, if you find that you really love the endorphin rush that comes with cardio, but you're feeling a little beat up, try to find that heart rate elevation in another modality that requires less loading on your body or less time under tension and less strain in that regard. The more you get to know the feelings that you're seeking And the more you explore how else you can get those same feelings or satisfy them, the easier it is to actually tune into your system and make sure that you don't get hurt. This is one of the things that we find helps people understand what their system is telling them that day and then helps you understand what you really enjoy as a human being. Everybody's a little different. The two should definitely marry up. But when we find ourselves stuck on one track and not sure what other modalities can give us that feeling, then we can get into a little bit of a rut. Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's incredibly important to understand your why, why we're doing something, what are we chasing, what is the purpose. And then it's also understanding that when it comes to cravings and these things that you really feel like you want, you are in control of how you decide to scratch that itch. So... Now, with every other podcast, we're going to hit a few rapid-fire wrap-up questions at the end. So we're going to start with uh, the most impactful book. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a perfect opportunity, once again, to plug Atomic Habits uh, by James Clear. It goes hand-in-hand with the topic of cravings. Um, If you haven't read that book, go pick it up. It has just so many different strategies in it to help you rearrange your habits and your lifestyle to suit the goals that you're trying to accomplish. A really, really nice read and a really easy read. And as far as daily self-care, we've discussed various daily self-care tools. One of the ones I would suggest in context of 
the movement modalities and what we crave from movement is to hire a coach. This is not to self-promote us. We're not right for everybody out there. But a lot of people feel really lost on finding another way to do something. And this happens all the time in light of injury, especially. They don't know that the stimulus isn't working for them, but they don't necessarily know what else to do. There's a reason that there are specific courses in our industry teaching coaches how to identify what sort of stimulus suits a certain type of human being. So hiring a coach can help you discover other ways of moving and figuring out why a certain stimulus may not be working or maybe that you need to mix things up a little bit. And on the nutrition side of things, the number one most important thing if you are trying to avoid snacking on a food or eating a food or food that you crave is just don't buy it in the first place. Don't keep it in the house. If it's in the house, at some point you're going to remember it's in the house and you are going to eat it. So if you're serious about making a change, again, like I mentioned earlier, you have to take a food out for at least two weeks before cravings are going to subside. So make sure you don't keep it in the house because when it's not there, you're going to crave it less and you're going to eat it less and that's going to set you up for success. And finally, the one piece of health advice, Freya. Well, for the movement piece, I think that it's probably been made pretty clear already is don't box yourself into one movement modality. What often happens is that it gets a little bit wrapped up in identity and if you're okay with that, that's great. But if you have an injury that stops you from practicing that one thing, it can be really, really hard. So if you learn a few different options and if you understand where your identity exists outside of your movement modality, then you'll probably do just fine if you hit any sort of life hiccups along the way. You do not have to give up what you love. Just keep exploring other things so that if things happen, because life does happen, you have a lot of other options to play around with. And truthfully, we like building strong generalists. Hear, hear. I rather enjoy being a very strong generalist right now. It's much more fun than uh, always doing the same damn thing over and over. But my one piece of health advice is to make sleep your number one priority. Reverse engineer your life starting with sleep. Block off eight hours to be in bed minimum because you're not going to be sleeping for that entire eight hours. You have to block off at least eight hours to at least give your chance to get at least seven hours of sleep and then figure out what the other 16 hours are going to, are going to give you. But reverse engineer everything starting with sleep because when you get your sleep, then you don't get false signals for cravings and you will have the wherewithal and the willpower and the discipline to make good decisions throughout your days and accomplish those health goals. And I think that about wraps this one up, Freya. Yes. Thank you, everyone, as always, for tuning in to the Move Daily Health Podcast. We'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.